guys. Okay, why do French people eat snails? It's because they don't like fast food. Now, isn't that a joke we can all get behind? No francophobia here, my pals. None of that. Only good old-fashioned humour and comedy. My name is Perry, and you're listening to another Bon episode of Hello, Mr. Burns, a research podcast where I talk about old-school Simpsons episodes to see what we can learn from them. What can I say? I got a weakness for the classics. The episode we are tackling today is another Fever Dream episode. I genuinely do not remember watching this as a kid, but apparently I did. Anyway, it is Season 1, Episode 11, The Crepes of Wrath. So I say wrath, although I did have a high school teacher who would always say, if you do that again, you will incur my wrath. Um, He also, no joke, no joke, looked exactly like Zoidberg. Although he always insisted that he looked more like the Monopoly man. So I don't know, maybe there was like an identity crisis happening there. So as always, we'll be starting with a super duper quick episode synopsis, list out new and notable characters, and then we're going to get straight into some good old research and did you knows. So in this episode, I promise I will not be having a dig at the French, but we are going to be tackling antifreeze and wine and an Albanian dictator who reads a bit more like a Bond villain. Anywho, toot toot, all aboard. Next up, episode synopsis. Oh, hey man, it's me, Bart Simpson. Okay, kid, let's go. The episode begins when Bart flushes a cherry bomb down a toilet, blowing up Agnes Skinner. Principal Skinner suggests he should partake in a foreign exchange scheme to just kind of get him out of the country. But Bart doesn't speak French. Oh, when he's totally immersed in a foreign language, the average child can become fluent in weeks. Yeah, but what about Bart? I'm sure he'll pick up enough to get by. Bart ends up being transferred to France, and he's placed with two winemakers who turn out to be crooks. So these guys end up working Bart day and night, um, and they work him harder than their little donkey, Maurice. Look out, Maurice! Un peu chapeau rouge pour toi! So these two are criminal winemakers. What they're doing is they're spiking the product with antifreeze. Meanwhile, back in Springfield, the Simpsons welcome their exchange student, a boy named Adil Hoja from Albania. So Adil shows an interest in the power plant and nuclear technology, and he's sending information back to the Albanian government. Honey, I'm home. Hello, Homer. What's that? Oh, just some blueprints a deal wanted. I'm telling you, he's such a curious little dickens. I bet he could build a nuclear power plant if he wanted to. <laughs> After being sent to fetch some more antifreeze, Bart is walking along the street, just kind of lamenting and being sad that he can't speak French to ask for help. He does try to ask a police officer for help, but the police officer can't understand him. As he's walking away, Bart's kind of lamenting. I'm so stupid. Anybody could have learned this dumb language by now. Here I've listened to nothing but French for the past two months. Et je ne sais pas ce mot. Eh? Monsieur pas français non tout non. Incroyable. Et monsieur, aidez-moi. C'est du témoin pour travailler. The dodgy winemakers are swiftly arrested, and um, Bart is treated like a national hero. Back in the United States. Adil is caught by the FBI and is exchanged for a boy who is an American spy caught in Albania. The end. So there are a bunch of new characters in this episode, but for the recurring ones, we meet Skinner's mother, Agnes, who looks exactly the same but has a different voice. We also find out in this episode that her nickname for Seymour is Spanky. 
<laughs> Morning, boys. Why haven't you introduced me to any of your students, Spanky? <laughs> <laughs> In later seasons, um, Agnes Skinner's personality is completely different to how she is in this episode. And in the DVD audio commentary, Matt Greening offers the theory that her current mean streak can be attributed to being a victim of Bart's cherry bomb prank in this episode. So this is kind of like her origin episode. You know, this is her joker. Alrighty, Roo, learning time. So this episode gets its name from The Grapes of Wrath, which was written by John Steinbeck and published in 1939. So the book takes place during the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl migration of the 1930s, and it kind of follows the story of this one Oklahoma family, Oklahoman, Oklahoma, Oklahomia family from Oklahoma, the Jodes. So these guys have been driven from their homestead, and basically they're forced to travel west to the promised land of California. So now it's a prize-winning influential book, but over the years it has been banned and it has been burned for its occasional obscene language and general themes. Some do view it as a communist propaganda. And speaking of communist propaganda, let's talk about Albania. (laughs) So um, as a little update, this is kind of like, you know those credit updates of 80s films? Um, So after the movie's finished and they give you updates on things. Eight months after this episode aired, communism fell in Albania. So there you go. So let's discuss about adding antifreeze. So so the whole idea of these French winemakers adding antifreeze to wine was kind of like a throwback to the 1984 diethylene glycol wine scandal. The 1985 diethylene glycol wine scandal was an incident in which several Austrian wineries added, oh God, I'm not going to say it again. Um, It's also known as DEG, so it's a chemical that's used in antifreeze. Winemakers started adding DEG to make the wines appear sweeter and more full-bodied. Now it's a bit more common to use ethylene glycol as as an antifreeze. So the scandal was uncovered by wine laboratories performing quality controls on wines sold in West Germany. And it immediately made like headlines around the world. It was, and still is, the biggest wine scandal to have ever hit the industry. So it can be kind of traced back to this one unseasonable year where grape harvests were pretty poor. So a lot of Austrian exporters had signed these massive contracts with um, like overseas supermarkets. But the problem was that the farmers had noticed that their harvests weren't sweet enough for the blend. Also, a lot of the harvests had started showing signs of something called noble rot, um, which despite its name is not noble in any way, it's just straight up grey mould. So the lack of good grapes and big export contracts left many farmers pretty much up Schitt's Creek. So people did what they do when they're in a pickle. They decided to cut corners. Adding DEG to wine has kind of been a practice for a very long time. It's a bit of a nasty chemical. And if you do look up medical contamination throughout history, it's mainly just DEG poisoning. For example, tragically in the 2000s, there were at least 80 children who died in Nigeria after being given a teething medicine that was laced with engine coolant. I have to say, if you do want to go down the rabbit hole of tainted medicine and food being given to children, do a little research into the Chinese milk scandal of 2008, which is absolutely seared into my memory, despite the CCP pretending it never happened. But enough of my tinfoil government cover-ups. Back to wine. You see, just trying to add simple sweetening stuff to wines, like sugar, which, by the way, is very illegal, it, um, it doesn't quite do the job because it doesn't correct the taste profile of the wine. 
By using DEG, it was possible to make the taste, the sweetness, and the body of the wine all legit. There's a whole science behind it, and I can't understand it, but just know that it works. Luckily, no one died in this particular antifreeze wine scandal. It just basically crippled the Austrian wine industry forever. Je pense toujours au miracle de l'antifreeze. Si on en met trop, bien sûr, c'est du poison. Okay, so I won't be giving you a full rundown of communism in Albania. You can thank me later for that. But I will draw attention to the Simpsons character of Adil Hojar, the little exchange kid and the man that he's actually modelled off. So let's get to meet Envar Hojar, the communist dictator of Albania for most of the Cold War. So Hojar was absolutely wild. Like most communist dictators, he was known for a combination of paranoia, outlandish behaviour, hypocrisy, and basically just his efforts to keep Western influences out of the country and keep Albania isolated. So this guy did a lot of evil stuff. I mean, evil dictator stuff. And get this, he was in power for 40 years. Google this man. Um, his name is spelt H-O-X-H-A. And if you have a look at him, his head kind of looks like an upside down avocado or a vermicious canid from Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator. Seriously, this man does not have a jawline in the slightest. Skimming over his rise to power, just know that he came into power in 1941. So while it can be argued that Hojar did a lot of good for Albania, as with most dictators, he only benefited certain people, while everyone else suffered mercilessly. He basically took the Mao Zedong blueprint and set about enforcing a cultural revolution that often mysteriously only favoured his political party and shut the door on intellects or free thinkers or eggheads, as they're sometimes known. Egghead like this bookie was Homer! Just tucking him in. So when Hojar took control of Albania, the country was kind of undeveloped, it was lacking in infrastructure, and it was relying on semi-feudal forms of agriculture production. With the assistance of the Soviet Union, Hojar implemented a series of five-year plans designed to industrialize Albania and modernize its infrastructure. As a side note, um, it was in 1945 that Hojar met his future wifey, a young lady named Nejmia. So she's also known as the Lady Macbeth of Albania. And she's quite unique in history because it's said that of the many spouses of dictators throughout history... The Albanian writer Ismail Kadre has said she was the most evil, the most perverse. And um, she, interestingly, she sort of fought for women's rights in Albania. So she did ban the wearing of Muslim veils as well as like Albania's ancient unwritten codes regulating marriages, land disputes and blood feuds. But it was kind of all for show. Like she did it just because she wanted power. So as soon as Hojar came into power, he basically set about locking the country down. He banned beards, bow ties, and colour TVs. Um, there is one story that he kidnapped a dentist from a rural village who bore a vague resemblance to him and forced him to undergo plastic surgery to get a new job as a body double. Um, but from my research, that's more of like a metaphor for life under his regime and the uncertainty of a dictator. So if you do Google this and come across an article from Cracked, just know that Cracked does not know how to do proper research. So Hojar turned Albania into an atheist state. He closed all religious buildings and systematically executed all religious figures. 
Above all, Hojar had this great fear of invasion. So lots of people did in those days, but Hojar kind of dealt with this in his own little special dictator way. He built 750,000 random bunkers all over the country. Um, So Albania at the time was a country of 3 million. So I'm not sure if this is overkill or if he had grand plans to have like one bunker per person. I don't know. We'll have to find out. So in his rise to political power, he had this cheeky old habit of assassinating his opponents. Happens, right? Um, He also had his high school friends and his high school crushes purged. He even went so far to track down the person who'd given him his scholarship to study in France and the friend who'd let him live rent-free in his Paris apartment. Both of these people died of sudden and severe lead poisoning. And it just, Hojar just went crazy. He was just kind of like Sasha Baron Cohen in The Dictator. He just went wild executing everyone. It's like, you get executed, you get executed, everyone gets executed. So as to be expected with any dictator, Hojar's interrogation techniques were not delicate, but they were consistent in getting false confessions. So I guess they worked. Beating, torture, electric shocks, isolation. They just kind of did everything that you'd expect in an evil movie. One poor man reportedly spent a year and a bit in a room that was just one meter by one meter. And he used to get pulled out once a month to get the absolute living daylights beaten out of him. In 1951, he ordered the execution of 22 intellectuals slash eggheads without trial. So these guys were accused of bombing the Soviet embassy in Tirana which is um, the capital of Albania. Um, And amongst the groups, these guys, I don't, like, they didn't do it. So in the group, there were a couple of biologists, a few businessmen, a poet, and a librarian. Like, my mother's a librarian. Uh, You know, they're not violent people. One of the victims was a businessman named Jonas Caselli, and he was actually killed a day earlier after he punched one of the interrogators in the face. He was then thrown out of a window headfirst from the second floor and it was announced he committed suicide. So in the group of 22, there was one woman who was a biologist named Sabiha Kazimat and she was an absolute badass. So she apparently met Hojar at one point just before this all went down and she confronted him by saying, I have come to tell you that you are killing all intellectuals. I want to ask you with whom you intend to build Albania? with the tinsmiths or the shoemakers? To which Hojar replied, stop reading French Enlightenment, I advise you to read Marx and Lenin. You can just tell he was fun at parties, right? So Hojar erected concentration camps and would frequently and without warning just sentence thousands to the camps. During Hojar's rule, there were six institutions for political prisoners and 14 labour camps where an estimated 32,000 people were imprisoned. Uh, In the 1960s, Hojar and other leading party members began confining themselves to a self-sustaining district of Tirana known as Bloku, which literally means the block. Isolated and sealed from the rest of Albania, Hojar and his cronies rarely ventured outside, preferring to make all of the country's decisions from inside their living rooms and parlours. It was like a real ivory castle situation. So reading up about the block, it kind of reminds me of Hitler's bunker or like of how the Nazis had cinemas and shops inside concentration camps to keep the guards entertained. In the block, there were special shops. Um, You could get groceries, Western clothes. 
They had a leisure house to view banned Western films, pharmacies with Western medicines procured by Albanian agents abroad. It was basically like every luxury that was being denied to the rest of the country was available inside this teeny tiny little privileged compound. However, life inside the block wasn't all roses. Like it wasn't a nice place to be unless you were Hoja. So for the families privileged enough to live inside the block, it was complete and utter chaos. The block became like a revolving door of families as Hojar would randomly wake up and decide that an entire family was a traitor and have them purged. So families were vying to have their children marry Hojar's children in an effort to secure their place in the block. But Hojar at one point ordered his brother-in-law to be executed, so this was definitely not a guarantee. There's a very famous case with the son of a man named Mehmet Shehu, who Hojar was grooming as his successor. So the son decided he wanted to marry a girl from outside the block. She was a really pretty volleyball named Silva Turju. Um, and this decision to marry outside of the block just sent shockwaves throughout the community. One historian writes, Little did his fiance know that she had just maneuvered herself into the eye of a terrible political storm. Not only was the engagement called off, but the entire Shehu family and Mehmet himself were apparently pulled aside for the old Jeffrey Epstein suicide. Except for this entire family, instead of hanging yourself in a cell, it was suicide by three bullets in the back of the head while they slept, no doubt. Silva, the um, fiancé, actually escaped and she had a bit of a sad life, so she was no longer allowed to compete in sports, um, and she spent the rest of her life knitting in a factory. You can look her up. She's a beautiful girl. So despite all of this, Hoja died a free man in 1985. At the time of his death, Albania was officially the third poorest country in the world, with an average income of 15 US dollars a month. Goodbye, Simpsons. Thank you for your hospitality. I hope this experience will not sour you on the student exchange program. And that, mon petit ami, is where we come to the end of another episode of Hello, Mr. Burns. And we wrap up our study of The Creeps of Wrath, Season 1, Episode 11. And wasn't that a fun one? You see, guys, I specifically went out of my way not to insult the French. Okay? No one. No one make fun of the French. They're great people. They, they, they... They, um, they made us croissants, I guess. That's something special. Baguettes. Who doesn't like baguettes? Mmm, delicious. Anyway, so it is interesting to see that the Simpsons did have references to things like a communist dictator in Albania and, you know, the Austrian antifreeze wine spiking scandal. So it's these kinds of episodes where we see how the Simpsons really were affected by what was happening in history and pop culture at the time. I mean, how many other kids' shows do you know that would be referencing a dictator in Albania as a character and um, antifreeze and wine and an Austrian wine scandal? So very exciting, guys, for the next episode that we're going to be tackling is Season 1, Episode 12, and it is Krusty Gets Busted. Woohoohoo! Okay, this is really exciting because this is where we see the emergence of one of my favorite characters of all time, Sideshow Bob. This was actually a really fun episode. Um... It was interesting to learn a little bit more about Albania, a country of which I know absolutely nothing anyway. So there you go. Um, anyway, guys, have a fantastic week ahead. I will see you in seven days for our next episode. Until then, 
Keep watching the skis. 